0: Welcome back. Well, he's one of the most successful singer-songwriters of all time and with his band Simply Red, has sold over 50 million albums with worldwide hits like Holding Back the Years, Stars, Money's Too Tight to Mention, Something Got Me Started. And if you don't know me by now, Mick Hucknall and Simply Red are coming to Dublin next month to play a concert at Collins Barracks here in Dublin on August the 26th. And I'm now joined by Mick Hucknall. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Very good. You're looking forward to coming to Collins Barracks (laughs) on August the 26th to play here in Dublin? Very much so. Very much so. I can't wait. You were in Cork a short time ago, weren't you? Do you like coming here? Yeah. Yeah, I like it very
1: much. There's just something about the attitude of people and the way it's very relaxed and I always feel comfortable in Ireland.
0: And I noticed recently you got an Irish passport. I think you were rejoicing about getting your Irish passport.
1: Well, I very much appreciate the benefits of being in the European Union and the free movement. It makes me quite sad to think now that my 14-year-old daughter, when she gets to be older, can't live and work in the European Union like our generation could. And it seems to be a step back, not a step
0: forward. What is your Irish ancestry, Mick? Let's clear that up once and for all. My grandfather on my mother's side was born in Banaha in
1: County Offaly. He moved over to the northwest of England when he was young and married a a lady in that area. My grandmother on my father's side is Scots, and my grandfather is from Cumbria. So I think it's fair to say when I did my DNA test, I'm a full-on Celt in the (laughs) northwest of the British Isles.
0: You couldn't really deny that with your hair as well, though, could you? Probably not, no. <laughs> and I gather your dad, Reginald, was a wonderful man. He was a barber, was he? Yeah, that's right. In the uh, in the
1: old school style, you know, with that, that little spiral red, blue and white thing that hung out of the shop, the, the mm-hmm. shop front. And uh, yeah, he, he did that for 35 years of his life.
0: Did he ever want to get at your hair? Oh, he
1: used to cut my hair regularly, especially during the punk period because I used to have it shaved around the sides and he loved my hair at that point because that was, before I was a punk I was a little bit of a sort of long-haired hippie Uh, I mean, I was only like 13, 14 but um, so yeah, he loved the punk period because I had it really short
0: Remind people where you grew up
1: I'm a working class boy I grew up in East Manchester I was a, a single parent family brought up by my father
0: Because when you were three, I think your mum Maureen left, didn't she?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Now, let's not blame
1: the Irish for that one. (laughs) Because remember, it's only my Irish grandfather. It wasn't his fault. In fact, my father got him very well with my grandfather. So interestingly, I didn't actually know that he was Irish until much later on.
0: And when you, because you're a father now, and I know a very loving and proud father do you reflect now on what a big seismic impact that must have had in your life when you didn't have your mum around anymore when you were three
1: well i was very fortunate and uh i was surrounded by love you know we Mm. um there was a real strong sense of community at that time in the area where i lived and my father had a, a a friend who was actually the best friend of my mother and she, she had four kids, and uh, the, the, the youngest one was the one that turned me on to the Beatles when I was about five. And I, I, I sort of got passed down through these four girls. So when my, fa- my father carried on working. He, he was not going to go on the dole or anything mm. like that. That wasn't his style. So I got passed down, first of all, to the mother and then to the eldest daughter. And I got passed down through to the youngest one until I was about nine. And then I started, when I was about nine and ten, I started to go to school by myself. And uh, I would then go home and sort of make myself something to eat before my dad came home. So I had a whole different rhythm than most kids have, you know, especially because I was an only child as well. I got used to spending a lot of time on my own, which made me very independent-minded and um, not not really reliant on anybody. I kind of don't like to be mm-hmm. reliant on people. I like to get on and do things myself.
0: And do you think that's true to this day? Well, I think it gave me a drive mm-hmm.
1: that, that, you know, I wouldn't even describe it as ambition because it, it, I, I suppose I was musically ambitious. I, I, I've always really, really loved music. It, maybe because of my upbringing it was a kind of a sanctuary for me it was a place i could go and be be alone but be in this world of melody and and uh, and i just really used music as as a kind of uh like a big brother somehow
0: and is it true then i mean that would make sense that you know you love that song if you don't know me by now by harold melvin i think in the blue notes and that is it when you were a teenager you you loved that song did you
1: well, when I when I, I got my first record player when I was uh, eleven, and, um, and then I started buying records at that point every Saturday because I was always working. Uh, right from being nine years old, I was delivering milk, delivering newspapers, because I wanted to put some money into the house. You know, my father mm. was uh, actually very poor, and but but he wouldn't. He, he would have been had more money if he'd have gone on the dole but he, he wouldn't, mm. and consequently, his style of barbering was old-fashioned, and he, I remember he used to curse the Beatles because he said, I love the Beatles, but that bloody long hair has destroyed my business, <laughs> you know, so he, my father was really kind of right on the, the edge of poverty for most of, of my teenage years, you know. Um, mm. So he, the, 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 the style of life we had is that I wanted to go out and get some money for myself. So from nine years old, I was delivering newspapers. Wow. Uh, I had a brief period of delivering milk. And then I got promoted to collecting the money for the newspapers <laughs> on the Fridays. And then, uh, so I was, always, I was always an industrious kid and I always had money in my pocket from, from working hard.
0: So, did you buy yourself your record player then to listen to people like Harold Melvin and the yeah, Blue Notes? Yeah, and
1: and I and I bought my own guitar when I was uh, sixteen. Um, so I just, you know, because my father had no money, so I, 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 you know, I, I couldn't really rely on him to to get me things. I mean, he maybe he did buy me the record player. I'm not, I can't hmm. remember exactly, but I definitely bought my own guitar. Every Saturday, I would go to a record store in ashton under and buy mostly Soul 45s, things like James Brown and, and mm. a, a lot of Philadelphia music, so, and uh, Tamla Motown. So I was listening to that stuff in my early teens. Then when I went to grammar school, they were kind of listening to more like kind of prog rock. So I got a little bit into uh, Yes and Led Zeppelin and that. So I had a very brief kind of long hair, petunia, hippie period. And then I saw the Sex Pistols and then it all just <laughs>
0: changed completely. Why did you decide later, When we're going to talk about your own songs, obviously, but you did that amazing cover, If You Don't Know Me By Now. Was that harping back to your teenage years or not? Why did you want to do that song? Well, pr- pretty much, yeah, because what I used to do, I used to
1: kind of practice singing along with those You know, I had a lot of things from Atlantic Records as well, like Aretha Franklin and Otis Mm. Redding and those kind of things. And I used to sit in my bedroom and I would sing along to them and try and hit the high notes. And just I was just always kind of practicing singing. I was singing all the time. I mean, you know, amazingly, nobody told me I should be a singer. I I can't I, I can't believe it, actually, because I was always singing.
0: Because I was going to ask you that. You have a magnificent voice. I was going to say, was it a teacher who spotted it? But you're saying it wasn't really spotted that young. No, nobody spotted it. The, the, the first person that really spotted it was a,
1: a, 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 I would really describe him as a mentor, um, was a, a gentleman called Roger Eagle, who's passed away now. Now, Roger, he had a club in Liverpool called Eric's, which was a legendary club. Mm -hmm. Um, He kind of fell in love with my first band and he took me under his wing and He was a massive uh, rhythm and blues, uh, reggae nut. And and I, I discovered a whole world of obscure rhythm and blues and reggae with him. He was a massive influence on me, a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, But he was, a, it was, he, he was a lousy businessman and a lousy <laughs> manager, but in a good way. You know, he was incredibly yeah. charming, but he was inept in that respect. And um, so I couldn't, he, he, he didn't hold on to me as a manager. Uh, but I've, I have very, very fond memories of uh, Roger Eagle. And that my time in Liverpool with him was absolutely inspirational. Mm-hmm.
0: Your song Holding Back the Years, it's such a magnificent song, but is it right that you began that when you were 17 and then finished it in your 20s? Is that right or a myth? No, it's absolutely correct. I'd actually just, I bought my guitar when I was 16 and um, I used to sort of
1: try and learn to play some chords in my bedroom. Holding Back the Years was actually the second song I ever wrote, but I didn't write the choruses, the I'll keep holding on's, probably the key part of the song, in a way, until I was 24. So um, Mm. the original recording of it doesn't have the chorus in it. And uh, so, but I used to play that version of it with my first band, the Frantic Elevators.
0: It's a remarkably mature song, though. Do you think when you look back now for a 17 year old to begin? And I mean, was that about your experience as well of your childhood? Well, I was at art school at the time. Studying a foundation course,
1: and, and our painting master, Bill Clark, who was, a, again, a wonderful man, I'd be very lucky having key people throughout my life who were really good to me, you know, and, mm. and just just took me under their wing. But but Bill, whenever, when, when he would talk about us doing painting and in live classes he described that the best time you're painting is when you lose yourself in something, where where you're not fully conscious of what Mm. you're doing. And I think when I wrote the song Holding Back the Years, I didn't know what it was about. I was almost writing in a subconscious state Mm. and it just kind of flowed out of me because I realized as I looked back in later years that obviously it's about my mother and my father and it's about... A, a, a general feeling that maybe why it was such a universal kind of success was that there comes a time when we all have to leave the nest, and and you, you know you want you, you want to strike out on your own, but at that moment when you first do it, you still want to hold on to that that house and your mom and dad, and you're still, you still you're a bit kind of you know what I mean? You, yeah. You, you, you're, frat- you, you're sort of frightened to go out there, but you know that instinctively you have to. You have to strike out on your own
0: eventually. And uh, that was the stage that I, that I was at when I wrote that song. It's interesting what you said, because I interviewed Van Morrison a short time ago and I asked him about Astral Weeks and he kind of said, well, I don't know how that song happened really. It just came out of me. I mean, in a way you're almost yeah, saying yeah. you wrote that in a similar way. It just came out of you. I can I can totally see that Van, Van's a friend of mine. I could see that he would, Mm.
1: Be that type of person. There's a certain way that he has, where I just think he just does things. Mm. You know, he just they just happen. He doesn't. I, I try not to think too hard yeah. about stuff like that. I just kind of get my
0: head down and get
1: on with what I do.
0: And I'm sure lots of people have their favourite song. I love your song for your babies. I mean, I love the mm. line. Her faith is amazing, the pain that she goes through contained in the hope for you, which I think of anyone who's ever had a baby, it's a magnificent line. Again,
1: I didn't think too hard about it. It was actually inspired by my management at the time, two, two gents, and they both had kids roughly at the same time. Mm. And I was lucky enough to sort of observe sorry, the, the, the changes that they seemed to go through when that happened. You know, I mean... Mm. Every time I think when a, when a person has a child, if if they're in a good state of mind, they appreciate the miracle of it. Yeah. They, they appreciate the, the, the extraordinary thing, you know, and I've been lucky enough to have a kid myself and, and I've really enjoyed being part of her growth, you know, just watching her grow and giving her little bits of advice, answering questions and just being generally around. And uh, it's been an enormous honour, actually, Mm. um, to be part of somebody, somebody's life as they grow and develop. Do you think it changed you when you became a father? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I was I was a sort of drunken playboy before I had kids. (laughs) Before I got married, I was just out having a grand old time. You know, I wasn't doing anybody any harm. I was just like living this life of a sort of kind of rock and roll lunatic really but I, I kind of stepped back because i saw i sort of thought this is killing me i'm not going to make it if i don't if i don't stop living like this i won't be here for much longer so and then i fortunately met a wonderful a wonderful girl who t- ended up being my wife and um uh, we we just have a great life together
0: which is fantastic Your album Stars was obviously huge and the hit from it was huge as well. Was it as big everywhere as it was, say, here and in the UK? At the time, it it was a... I
1: wouldn't want to call it a flop, but it didn't work in America. I remember Elton John saying to me that he he was shocked that it didn't do as well in America. He said to me, you must have been devastated that it didn't go for you in America. And by then, I'd kind of become quite disillusioned with America anyway, you know my generation coming out of the punk generation we didn 't have the same reverence about America as say the Beatles and the stones had you know they had they had Elvis and apple pie, we had Richard Nixon and Vietnam, and so mm. we, and we were doing really well in Europe, and I really love touring in europe, and that 's enough for me i, do, I don 't need the adulation and i, I I just need to do enough work to make a good living, and that's how I, I feel. I'm not, I'm not a massively ambitious person. I just like doing my job, and so I've got a really nice routine now, effectively, of, of certain territories that I love to be in. I love the culture. I love going to the art galleries. I mean, I miss the art galleries in America, I've got to say, but <laughs> um, feel blessed to have actually just survived and gotten even to this position. Because so many people around mm-hmm. my generation, I mean, the, 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 the artists of the 60s somehow have kind of lived better than the artists of the 80s. So many of them are gone. You know, mm-hmm. Prince, Michael Jackson, so many of them. And you just think, oh my God, where's the rest of us? <laughs> where, 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 are they, where have they gone?
0: So do you feel that you've just been lucky? Do you think life's a bit of a lottery or you make your own luck? I mean, why do you think you are a survivor? I think it's a little bit of both, actually. I think there's a lot of luck in certain respects. But then again,
1: if I'm really honest, I've worked very hard, mm-hmm. you know, and I work hard a bit. But it, when I say work hard, I love my job. So it's, it's not really working hard. If you love your work, then your work becomes a way of life. That that is what you need. You know that's what you need. And I really do feel more anything for people who are unhappy in their jobs, that are unhappy in their work, and uh, that that's awful. That could be, that that's a curse.
0: So do you feel blessed in a way, or just lucky that you ended up having a career that you actually love? Like you go to work and you love what you do. Yeah. I, feel, I do, I feel very, very
1: fortunate. One, one, that I have the ability to sing and um, probably more the ability to write songs um, because that, that's, that's the real, you know, if you write a great hit, that's the jewel in your crown for the rest of your life. You know, it, it, it keeps paying the bills and
0: everything. It's, it's, uh, that's the biggest gift of all, I think, to be able to write songs. You've written a lot of big hits. Which is your biggest selling hit? Like, which of the, your hits has been the most successful? Well, I, I, uh, the, the, the
1: Stars album
0: is a, is a, a, a massive record for us. Uh,
1: holding Back the Years, obviously, um, the song Fairground, Sunrise later on. I've just been aiming to have, like, a hit every decade. Because not many, not many artists have managed to pull that off. Um, So I've got high hopes, I've got an album coming out next year that is being very well received uh, by, by the record company and management and stuff. So I'm hoping that I'll get to manage, just manage to get a hit out of that as well.
0: Well, that sounds great about your new album, Mick. Thank you very much for talking to me this morning. I've loved talking to you. And just to repeat, you're going to be playing in Collins Barracks here in Dublin City, August the 26th. It's a beautiful venue and tickets are available from Dolly, Thank you so much, Mick. Mind yourself. An absolute pleasure.